Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I have another podcast out there from John to Justin, and I do all of these podcasts full-time, every day, writing, research, everything. So every doll you give helps keep it all going. I'll also thank you on the air and through social media and at the end of the month. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. In the days before Europeans arrived on the shores of Canada, Nibawa was simply a spot on the prairies and the development of the community was on the distant horizon. The land was primarily occupied by the Cree, Ojibwe, and Assiniboine people who followed the plains bison that took shelter in the area north of Nipawa during the winter before crossing through the area to head south again across the plains. The land provided everything the indigenous people needed, with bountiful game, water, and plants. And it's for that reason that the area was named Nipawa, which was Cree for Land of Plenty. Today, Nipawa sits on Treaty 2 land. The word Nipawa took some time to show up on maps, though, not appearing until 1873. For a long period of time, the only Europeans who came through the area were fur traders that followed the Fort Elise Trail, which ran from the Red River area to Fort Edmonton. The overall trail was known as the Carlton Trail, but the section that ran from Upper Fort Garry to Fort Edmonton was commonly called the Fort Elise Trail. It was along this trail that many settlers would journey through the Canadian prairies after arriving in Canada, anxious to find their homesteads and settle down to a new life. In 1877, a group of settlers from Listowel, Ontario, decided the land looked quite nice where the stony and boggy creeks met, and they chose to stop where they were and set up a new community. They weren't the first to arrive in the community, though. The first homesteaders arrived around 1872 and started to settle on the land that had been freed up by the numbered treaties that the Indigenous signed with the government. The first group to arrive in the Nipawa area, those 30 settlers from Ontario, would lay the foundation for the community that Nipawai is today. At the time, the area was not part of Manitoba, which was only one-eighth the size that it would be, and it was called the Postage Stamp Province as a result. It was not until 1881 that the borders of Manitoba expanded, and the area of Nipawa became part of the province. Nipawa would officially be founded in 1880 on the land homesteaded by Andrew Baker, who was the first person to erect a building in the area. Soon after, Others began to erect buildings, and the community slowly started to grow. In 1882, the railway came through, and the success of Nipawal was assured. On November 3, 1883, Nipawal was incorporated, and J.J. Hamilton was elected as the first mayor of the community. That being said, there's an interesting story of who really was the first mayor. 
The story comes from an early pioneer of the area named Fred Davis, who said there was an unofficial election in 1882 before Nipawa was a town. The ambitious young men of the town felt the community should be dignified enough to have a mayor, and due to his popularity because of the songs he would sing and his fun-loving disposition, Patrick Dempsey was chosen as the mayor of the town. Officially, though, Hamilton is the first mayor of the town. One year after Nipawa became a town, its significance in the area was displayed in the construction of a beautiful courthouse. This two-story buff brick building served as the county and municipal offices, the judge's courthouse, a police station, and even a theater. The cost of the building was shared with the government of Manitoba, and for the next five years it was the only brick structure in the entire community. The building still stands to this day and houses the offices of the Municipality of Rosedale, and in 1980 the structure was made a National Historic Site of Canada. The community would continue to grow thanks to its location and good land, and by the turn of the 20th century, Nipawa had two banks, three hotels, a dentist, three tailors, three schools, four churches, seven elevators, three doctors, two drugstores, two restaurants, two newspapers, four lumberyards, six blacksmiths, and much more. It also had a population of about 1,500 people at the time, which made it one of the most important communities in the entire province. One interesting aspect of Nipawa is that it developed quite the rivalry between the north and south ends of the community. The two sides of the community were separated at a boundary where the train station was located, and each side of the community was competing to be the dominant side of the community in terms of commerce. For about 15 years, the north side was the business centre with the wheat market, sash and door factory, several hotels, three stores and much more. This continued until just after the turn of the century, when things started to change due to the building of the Canadian National Railway through the area. This changed the grain delivery location for the community, and changed the community as a result. Add in there was no fire bylaws in the north side of town and things were bound to change. And with that, the prosperity of the North End ended, and before long the community was functioning as one whole, rather than two sides. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I've spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms, and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. Around the time the Nipawa was forming and becoming a town, a man named Dr. David Harrison owned a private bank in the community. He would then be elected to the Manitoba legislature where he represented the area from 1883 to 1888. During that period of time, and only for a very brief moment, he would serve as the 6th Premier of Manitoba from December 26, 1887 to January 19, 1888. 
Unable to win the support of a clear majority of MLAs, he resigned soon after becoming Premier and would be replaced by Thomas Greenway, who would serve for the next 12 years. Harrison would go back to his bank in Nipawa, which he would continue to run until 1898. In 1892, the Knox Presbyterian Church was built in the rare example of a Romanesque revival in Manitoba. The church replaced the $1,200 church that had been built only 10 years previous. The church featured brick and stone exteriors with round arched openings, a bell tower, and more. Designed by James Allen MacDonald, this building is one of the oldest Presbyterian churches in the entire province, and there's only three other churches that are older than this one. The church continues to stand to this day in Nipawa and in 1989 was named a Provincial Historic Site. In 1902, a new station was built in Nipawa to handle the growing amount of visitors and settlers coming to the community. The total cost of the station at the time was $5,000, which was no small amount. A second-class style station, it was completed that year and served the Canadian Northern Railway for decades until it was closed in the early 1980s with the decline of the use of railroads. The structure, despite being nearly 120 years old, still stands to this day and now houses the beautiful Plains Museum. And that's its name. It's not me calling it beautiful, although I'm sure it's a very nice museum. The beautiful Plains Museum was established in 1976 and moved into the former rail station in 1981. Today, it serves as a tribute to the indigenous and settlers of the area. The station is also split into three floors, where you can see the recreation of a general store, medical hall, log cabin, chapel, and much more. It also houses many artifacts from the past of the community, as well as pictures from decades ago. The museum is open from Victoria Day to Labor Day every year, and admission is by donation. In 1906, the Nipawa Opera House opened and would operate for the next three decades as a theatre before it was repurposed into a movie theatre in 1936. Today, it is one of the oldest theatre venues in all of Manitoba and serves as an excellent example of an entertainment facility that adapted to the times. The theatre, now called the Roxy Theatre, stands to this day and still operates as a theatre. Any visit to Nipawa, though, is not complete without stopping in to see the history of this structure that dates back over 100 years. In 2006, it was named a Municipal Heritage Site. On April 14, 1912, the Titanic sunk beneath the waves, becoming the most famous shipwreck in the entire world. And when it sunk, it took the lives of three Nipawa men with it, Lewis, Leonard, and Stanley Hickman. Leonard had come to the area of Nipawa in 1908 to start farming, and in 1912 he journeyed to England to get his brothers. The three men were coming back to Canada on the Titanic when it hit an iceberg. Crews picking up bodies grabbed what they believed to be Leonard's body in the water. He was identified by a large card and shipped back to Nipawa. Upon arrival, it was quickly realized that this was not Leonard, but Lewis, and the body was buried as Leonard anyways, and on the gravestone it lists all three brothers. The bodies of the two other brothers were either never found or may have been buried in unmarked graves in Halifax. Today, Hickman's grave is the farthest west any victim of the Titanic sinking is buried, and roughly 100 to 200 people a year come to Nipawa to visit the grave located at the Riverside Cemetery. On July 18, 1926, a girl was born in Nipawa who would go on to become one of Canada's most celebrated authors. Margaret Lawrence was born on that day in the community and her family ties went back to the earliest dates of the community. In fact, her grandfather was the lawyer who prepared the incorporation documents for the town. Margaret Lawrence would suffer heartache as a child when her mother died when Margaret was only four. 
Margaret would live in Nipawa until she was 18, and then she went to Winnipeg's United College, now the University of Winnipeg. And she started writing short stories as a teenager when she was in Nipawa, and she would create the fictional town of Marawaka, which would appear in many of her works and was based on Nipawa. The relationship between the life and the books is an intensely interesting one. And also, I think, perhaps, when we enjoy books like that, and they become part of our life, in this case, part of our national life in English Canada, uh, when, when we enjoy books like that, it's sometimes interesting to understand and valuable to understand the pain and the uh, difficulty from which they came. Lawrence had a terrible childhood. By the time Margaret was nine years old, both of her parents were dead. She and her aunt and her brother went to live with her grandfather, a man Margaret hated. Her lifelong friend, Mona Meredith, recalls a cold and distant man. I could walk around a lot of blocks before I'd meet Graham Simpson, yeah. No, he was he was a very formidable character, and he had bright, bright blue eyes. And when they were boring into him, I tell you, you, you know, <laughs> you hoped that there was nothing on your conscience. And that's where Margaret lived, you know. Not but a very cozy household. It was not a cozy household, no. As soon as she was old enough to read, Margaret took refuge in books and in writing. In 1964, she wrote The Stone Angel, which became her best-known work. And throughout the 1960s and beyond, she became one of Canada's most celebrated authors. She would win two Governor General's Awards in 1966 and 1974. In 1972, she was awarded the Order of Canada. And in 2016, she was named a National Historic Person. In all, she wrote six novels, two short story collections, and four children's books. She would develop lung cancer in 1986, and the cancer soon spread to her organs. To spare her friends and family suffering, she committed suicide on January 5, 1987, and she is buried at the Nipawa Cemetery. Today, her childhood home has been turned into the Margaret Lawrence House, and it is a museum dedicated to her life and was registered as a provincial historic site only six months after her death. The house can be visited today to learn more about one of the most gifted authors Canada has ever produced. Welcome to the Margaret Lawrence home. Ivan Trail is giving us a tour of the two-story brick house where Jean Margaret Wimmis spent some of her formative years. She did a lot of writing. She filled scrapbooks and what have you. There used to be a carriage house outside and she had an upstairs in the carriage house and she used to go upstairs in the carriage house and actually do a lot of her writing up there. She probably scribbled everywhere that she could get a, a table around here. Later, Margaret Lawrence always said this community was the foundation for much of her work. I think that the whole prairie um, background and the land uh, has comes into my writing a very great deal. Now, I would find it very hard to define. I think it comes out in ways that are totally, um, shall I say, unselfconscious or, or subconscious. Today we officially welcome one of Canada's most esteemed and beloved writers, Margaret Lawrence. To Today, a ceremony honouring her as a person of national historic significance. Honouring the best of the best in Canada. These are people that have contributed significantly to the fabric of Canada, and it's a way of connecting Canadians to our history and past. Her son couldn't be in Nipawa for the ceremony, but David Lawrence says this community remained within her, no matter how far she travelled. I think she would have been humbled. I think she would have been humbled by the honor, though it might, she might have had a laugh about being called historic. 
The house and yard is now a museum and historic site. It's also a tourist attraction for the town of Nipawa. Lawrence used the town as a backdrop in several of her novels, renaming it Manawaka. But that wasn't always popular with the locals. When some of those books came out, some people felt they saw portraits that struck a little too close to home. Her writing has stood the test of time and uh, I think she's uh, sort of that controversy, I think, is, is in the past. Lawrence's son David hopes this honour will keep her name alive as a writer, but also as a person who cared about Canadian culture and human rights. It's my hope that this honour may help her work find a new audience, a new audience among younger generations. Before she died, Lawrence was asked about her legacy. It seems only right to give her the last word. People sometimes say to me, well, how long do you think your work will live and so on and so on? I haven't got the foggiest idea, and that is the very least of my concerns. Karen Pauls, CBC News, Nipawa, Manitoba. And one unique aspect of Nipawa is that it is the self-proclaimed lily capital of the world, thanks to the annual Lily Festival. The festival began in 1996 and has become one of the premier festivals and celebrations in the entire area. The festival is held every July and is the perfect place for anyone with a love of beautiful flowers. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Nipawa. If you did, please leave a rating and review. On Saturday, we're going to be looking at the life of Gabriel Dumont. And on Sunday, I might just have a special episode about something for everybody, so I hope you like it. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.